Live your calling. Live your best life, right? Yeah. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you do not have a Bible, our text will be on the screen and you can read along with me. And before we start reading, would you please bow your heads with me and join me in a word of prayer? Holy Father God, we come before you with reverence and awe and gratitude. Uh, Lord, we, we are so grateful that every week we can gather in this space and bring you praise and, and glorify your name and share uh, in communion and remember what you've done so we can all come to the table and share in the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ as one family, as your children, your sons and daughters, God, who were alienated from you, but you've brought into family again. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can come each week and, and faithfully hear your word and read your word. And, and we pray, God, that you open our hearts wide to receive it this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. where We're going to be reading verses 17 through 24, and uh, the chapter is 40 verses. We are focusing on the very middle section, which I think speaks to and kind of encapsulates the whole idea. The beginning of uh, chapter 7 in the book of Corinthians kind of starts uh, the second half of the book. And there's a kind of a a marked change in Paul's tone. Up to this point, he's been speaking about kind of some some controversies and internal drama within the church in Corinth. Kind of people being separated along ethnic and political lines. Uh, And he's kind of speaking to a theology of the cross. That at the foot of the cross, we are all leveled. We're all, uh, no one's greater or worse than the other. And the way you act matters. The way you do with your body in this world matters because of Jesus. The beginning of chapter 7, we see this shift to, Paul says, well, you guys said uh, it's not right for a man to sleep with a woman in general, like a married man to sleep with a married woman. And Paul's like, all right, we're going to start addressing some of your personal questions. That's a personal question and a strange one at that. So he starts kind of addressing very real questions that they had written to him about. And we're going to pick up in verse 17. The text reads, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. That's difficult, by the way. (laughs) Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. That's also difficult for an adult. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation that they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of the sermon this morning is Live Your Calling. 1 Corinthians begins that transition of Paul's teachings. 
And he starts talking about, in the, in the broader chapter, he starts talking about questions about sex, marriage, indentured servitude, what we read as slavery, divorce, circumcision, singleness, right? Everybody's favorite topics to talk about in public and in church. Right, yeah. And, and all their questions seem to have, have stemmed from this wondering about how do we follow Jesus in this present world, in our messy situations, You know, Paul, you've told us that Jesus is coming back, that he he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, but he's going to return and reclaim us for his glory. When's that happening? And how do we live as Christians in this world now? In uh, verse 31, it says, Paul Paul writes this second half of 31, for this world in its present form is passing away. If you take that into consideration, these Christians are wondering, well, how do we live in this present world as it's passing away in my situation of my, my husband's saying that we can't be together. Or, or my husband doesn't believe in Jesus, and so I'm going to church by myself. How do I keep doing this? Oh, man. I'm single. I've wanted to get married my whole life. How do I keep being faithful to Jesus? You say only marry a Christian. Paul says that in this chapter. Only marry a fellow believer. Well, what, what do I do about that? How do I live in this present world as it's passing away and follow Jesus faithfully? But in summary, Paul is encouraging Christians not to be obsessed with their circumstances. Whether married or single, married to a fellow believer or married to someone who doesn't follow Jesus, whether you are financially well off or unbelievably indebted, whether you're experiencing suffering or prosperity, whether you're black or white or Asian or Latino or another ethnic uh, group, Paul's reply to all of this is this world in its present form is passing away. But you, in whatever circumstance, live as a follower of Christ. In other words, the end of all things is imminent. It is coming. And if all these stressors will pass away, why do they command so much of our anxiety and our hope and our stress? Paul gives two examples in our text that we read, and that is circumcised or uncircumcised. And the second is slave or indentured servant or a freed person. He also gives two other kind of key examples in this chapter that we didn't read, and that's single or married and married to a believer or a non-believer. And what he's speaking to is these different circumstances that you find yourself in. How do you deal with them? The idea of circumcised or uncircumcised corresponds directly with uh, ethnic groups. The Greeks were uncircumcised, and they thought if you get circumcised, that's self-mutilation. It's disgusting for your body. You don't belong to us. You're a lesser human being. That was their philosophy. In their, their games, if you guys know the Olympic Games or the Ismithian, game, the, uh, Ismithian Games, uh, they had these public games where it was only males who competed, and they competed naked, and if you were circumcised, you weren't allowed to compete. You're, you're viewed as other. That's, that's real history. Uh, when Paul talks about circumcision, it's not this like weird religious rite. He's saying these different ethnic groups, whether you're one or the other, don't try to assimilate to the other. It doesn't matter. God loves you and called you just as you are. He wants you to follow him in the body which you let now inhabit as you are. Uh, the idea of being a slave or a freed person. There has to be an aside here. Slavery in the first century was quite different from American chattel slavery. The American chattel slave trade is where African-Americans were systematically captured, 
or, or bought from other Africans in the, in the country of Africa and then bought it and considered property for life. And their children would be property. And it was systemic. When you look at that, people being enslaved for, lot, for their life uh, and their descendants' lives, race-based, despicable, very abusive, uh, there's no other word to describe that than despicable. Paul is not at all condoning that. But he's also not condoning slavery in the first century, which looked radically different. Slavery in the first century was not race-based or ethnic-based. Uh, usually, you became a slave if either one, you're fighting an enemy in battle, they beat you, and they spared your life, so then you're then indebted to them. And your life then became a life of serving them. Uh, and there was no, I won't get into all the details, it did not look like American slavery did. The other way you could become a slave in the first century is if you sold yourself into slavery because you've gone into immense amounts of debt that you could not pay off. You could either sell yourself or your family members into slavery for a period of time. That's indentured servitude. That means I will work for you for seven years as your kind of house servant to pay off my debts and I'm a freed person. I can own my own property. My descendants aren't slaves. Incredibly different. But even that, Paul's not justifying. Paul doesn't say anything here that it's really great to have slaves and, and you should practice indentured servitude. He doesn't say any of that. He says, if that's the situation where God called you, be faithful to him where you are. Do not let your circumstance destroy you or make you act in a way that is not faithful to Jesus. So we look at these kind of uh, circumcised, uncircumcised ethnic groups. Slave or free? Well, it's financial hardship, bondage. Uh, Male or female? Earlier in this chapter, Paul says that a woman has the rights to to her husband's body. And we're like, that's weird. My wife can't tell me what to do with my body. And then when we read the other verse, also a man has the rights to his his wife's body. And you're like, that's that's wrong. You know, that makes you angry. Like that's wrong in our society today. Well, what he's saying is men and women are, are leveled before the cross. One is there's no hierarchy. There's no greater value or greater worth or responsibility. Men and women are equals. Whoa. In the first century, unheard of. Right? And Paul's saying, whatever body you find yourself in, male or female, follow God faithfully. Next, single or married. Do you find yourself single or married this morning? He's speaking right to your relationship status, right? And and some of you guys might feel like, if we're honest, if I was married, I would be happier. If I was married to someone else, things would... We won't, be saying, we won't say happier, things would be easier. The married people know what I'm talking about. You single people are like, that's, that's, in, that's, that's incredulous. You can't say that. Yeah, you haven't been married yet. You don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, but if we're honest, what we feel internally is that our relationship status says something about our worth. Our relationship status says something about kind of our, our social status, where we fit into the social order. How loved we are. How likable we are. If we're honest, that's, that's our culture today, even more so in the first century. Whether or not you were married spoke to whether or not you could have kids, whether or not you could have property, whether or not you could go to the market and trade for yourself, what kind of business you could operate, the respect you could have in a business setting. Marriage meant a whole lot of things to them. Relationship status, similar to us, relationship status had social status with it. And then who are you married to? Are you married to a, a believer or a non-believer? A Greek woman who becomes a Christian and her husband's 
still a pagan, still worshiping uh, the, the Greek gods, right? And then there's this social pressure there too of, well, I, I show up alone to church on Sundays. He doesn't come with me. He goes and has some crazy, yeah, we won't get into what they're doing for pagan worship. <laughs> PG, right? Judah's in the back. Um, but there's this, this social status there too. How do you present yourself? What are, what are things like at home? And, and Paul is saying, whatever situation you find yourself in, live as a follower of Jesus. Live as a believer, no matter what. What Paul is not saying necessarily is that God called you particularly to be financially indebted or particularly to be single or particularly to be married to a non-Christian. He's not saying that any of those things are the goal or that you should get yourself into those situations. What he's saying is wherever you find yourself, when God has called you, be faithful to him no matter what, where you are. Glorify God with your life despite your circumstances. If you became a Christian when you were married to someone who refuses Jesus, you can still glorify God in wonderful ways. And we have living testimonies to that in this room today. I think about Kat bringing her daughter to worship God every Sunday. Bring her early. Somebody else is playing with her as she's singing so that she can help lead us in worship. That is ridiculously hard to do alone. It's hard to have Judah, the two of us. (laughs) But I love you, buddy. The way Marcia goes out of her way to encourage and serve all the brothers and sisters in this room in their homes because she can't have them into her home is ridiculously challenging but ridiculously admirable. The way Chibale worships God and teaches Kezia to do the same largely by herself is glorifying to God. These women are striving to live their calling despite their circumstances. But if you ask them, I think they'd say it's very hard at times. So what is our calling from God and how do we live it despite our circumstances? Paul in Galatians writes, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is one of my favorite verses. I think it speaks directly to what is your calling? That you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. If you want to know what your calling is, there it is. Christ lives in you. In other words, you are a manifestation or should be of Christ's love in this world. God has chosen you as his vessel to be light and love in this present darkness. Your calling, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So how do we live like Christ in a world that is trying to suck the life out of us in our circumstances? Oftentimes I can find my circumstances seem to be trying to control me rather than me live faithfully despite them. Uh, Show of hands, who's finished filing their 2022 taxes this year? Those of you who haven't, you got two days. (laughs) I stayed up till uh, 1 a.m. on Friday night filing our taxes because I'm about to leave town right after this. And we had a busy day yesterday. So I stayed up till 1 a.m. finishing up our taxes and they're like extra hard this year for a number of reasons. Switching um, healthcare providers twice within the year was not great. And uh, Melina's last name on her W-2 did not match the last name on her healthcare form, her married name. 
And there's some, some stuff there. So her W-2 had incorrect information on it. It was, it was very frustrating for me trying to file them. I stay up till 1 a.m. remember doing this. Filed them, went to bed, right? Prayed with my wife, went sleepy time. Get up Saturday morning. What do I find? The rejection email. Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about because you never filed taxes. But imagine staying up till 1 a.m. doing all this work that's really frustrating as it is, but you're trying to do it with peace and love. You get up in the morning where you're going to be serving people or working all day, and the first thing you see is all of your hard work was in vain. Frustrating. And so I'm like, then we're trying to prepare for this baby shower, and uh, we're so excited for Shelby's baby, you know, and Mark's baby too. Anyways, we're trying to prepare for the baby shower, but I'm at the bar. The, the bar in our kitchen, not the literal bar. Um, and I'm trying to finish up our taxes and fix all these issues, right? And as I'm trying to fix these issues, you can just see me get increasingly frustrated, right? And then there's some uh, amazing women who came to help set up the, for the baby shower uh, before it started and kind of saw me. And the, <laughs> if you ask Kat and Marsha, like, was Ben happy-go-lucky yesterday morning? No, he was not. He was frustrated. He was angry. Uh, it was a face. It was a face. I was livid, if we're honest. I was livid. In those moments, I wasn't praising God. I was trying my best to bring him glory, but I was less encouraging. I was less welcoming. I was less quick to go out the door and help people bring stuff in because I'm, I'm stressed, right? In those moments, and this is a simple and kind of smaller example than some of our big circumstances in life, but in those circumstances, I start to let my circumstances control me rather than trying to glorify God despite my circumstances. And the question for us is, how do we react when we experience hardship? And the topics we looked at today, thinking about ethnicity, gender, sexuality, financial status, social status, relationship status, all these big issues. How do you react when you experience biases or rejection or even racism? How do you react in those circumstances? Are we able to display the love and grace of God despite immense hardship? How about when we face massive financial debt or job insecurity or or, or unemployment? Are we still able to give financially to God? Do we still trust God? How about when we feel we've been heartbroken again and we're wondering, God, what is your plan? Do you have someone for me? What is your plan for me? Will we still trust that God loves us and has great and good plans for us? And will we still follow his commands to marry someone who's a follower of Jesus? Or will we settle for something less? How do we currently live out our calling despite our circumstances? How do we imitate Jesus in a world full of brokenness, pain, worry, and heartbreak? I think we get two secrets from our text this morning. Number one is your identity is in the one who calls you. And number two is we have no need of shame. We have no need of shame because of our circumstances. Number one, we must remember who it is that called us. We don't find deep truth within ourselves that motivates us to lay down our lives for the sake of others. That's not, we don't find that within ourselves. We don't experience perfect, unconditional love in our boyfriend or our girlfriend or even our spouses or our parents. As Christians, we want to emulate that. We strive after it, but we fall short. People will always fail you at some point. People will always fail you. People do not remain uh, consistent or constant. 
They have their ups and downs. They come and they go. They show up at some points. They, they miss you on other points. People are not perfect. People are not the one who called you. It isn't people that call us. We don't call ourselves either. God is the one who calls us. It is he who takes away our heart of stone and can put a heart of flesh into us. It is him who says, I'm going to fashion you, Ariana. I'm going to fashion you, Noah, into a new creation. It is God who says, this is my beloved son or daughter whom I love with them. I am well pleased. It is Jesus who says, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. I have great purposes for your life. I trust you and I believe in you. It is the Holy Spirit who says, I'm going to come and make my home within you. I will lead you and comfort you and fight for you. It is God who calls you, not people. Because the king of the universe, the great I am, the one who was and is and and is to come, is the one who calls you. That's why you have no need to feel shame. Many scholars think that Paul was actually a widower. Someone with his social status, with his life stage, but he's traveling around saying he's unmarried and single. For him to be able to do that and be who he is, many biblical scholars think he was a widower. Meaning he was married in the past and his wife passed away. That's why he's single at this point. Many scholars also think they struggles with, with some sort of, of blindness or ailment. And he writes about that in Galatians and other places. And you think about some of his circumstances, losing a, probably losing his wife or some other major life event causing him to be single, uh, struggling with blindness or some other physical ailment. In his past life, you guys know who he was? Persecutor of the church. What was he known for? Killing and imprisoning his fellow Christians. Think about someone who had every reason to feel ashamed. His physical impairments, his social kind of status, the the hand that he's been dealt with death, the hand he's dealt to others with death and pain. Think about the deeds, the things we've done in our past that we're ashamed of. When he said, I am the greatest of sinners, That's not like a humble thing that we should say to how many Christians have you killed? Like you're not on the same level of sin as he is, right? Sin is not equal. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. You kill people. That's worse than if you told a white lie, right? Like don't like we can argue with that later if you want. Paul has done shameful things. His circumstances are tough. And then you read about what happens to him as he's glorifying God with his life. He's beaten, imprisoned thrown to dogs, uh, beaten with sticks. They tried to uh, lynch him or mob kill him and stone him, right? Like these awful things that happened to Paul. And then he ends up dying. Like he ends up being killed. How do you glorify God despite your circumstances? Paul did it because he was so confident in the one who called him that everything else became small to him. That everything else, according to him in Philippians 3, is rubbish compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Know the one who calls you. Know the identity that you have in him. That doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're uh, uh, financially at the bottom of the totem pole or if you're incredibly well off. It doesn't matter. Glorify God in your circumstances because you know the one who called you and he loves you so deeply. The Bible is filled with people who had every reason to be ashamed and insecure about their circumstances. 
Moses should be ashamed for killing an Egyptian. Something happened with his speech. He either didn't know the language or he had a speech impediment. And he says, I can't speak well. But God says, I'm calling you to lead my people of Israel out of slavery. When God called him, these things became small. David was the youngest of all his brothers. And when God calls him, he uses him to take on giants and lead the whole kingdom. Gideon was the smallest person in his tribe and his tribe was the weakest in Israel, according to him. He even thought that God had abandoned them. But God calls him and God calls him to lead God's army and save God's people and everything else became small because he knew the one who called him. The Bible is filled with people who had every reason to be ashamed because of their circumstances. But when God calls them, even if they're hesitant at first, it changes their lives. May it change our lives too. Shame does not define them. Their history does not define them. Their maleness or femaleness does not define them. Their financial status does not define them. The issues that they face don't get in the way of God's plans for them. And so it is with us. We tend to read stories like that and think, well, we're, I'm different. I couldn't be like them. That is not true. Those are human beings just like you and me. God has great plans for us as well. When Paul writes, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. He's saying when God calls you, there's no hierarchy and there's no shame. Live faithfully in your calling. Paul says, obviously, don't make bad decisions. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't become financial slaves, meaning don't get yourself into so much debt that you have to sell the next seven years of your life away. Make good decisions, Christ-like decisions. Live your calling. That is the point today that I hope that we can all leave with. Live your calling where you are. I have two practices for us as we seek to embody that this week. Number one is tell the story of God calling you. Tell the story of God calling you. Humans are storytelling creatures. It is how we make meaning from our lives, and it's also how we process our lives and our experiences. And it especially helps us in shaping our identities. What that means is that every time you tell the story of how God called you, also known as your testimony, you are reinforcing your God-given identity. You're reinforcing your spiritual formation that God has a plan for you and he, he has been moving in your life up to this point to lead you to where you are so you can serve him. You're reinforcing that belief within yourself when you tell the story of how God called you. Have you ever noticed that when you're sharing your testimony with someone, it's really hard to, to think about giving up your faith? Because you start to remember all the miracles that God has done in your life how he brought you to where you are, the things he's rescued you from, the people he's used in your life to help you, the blessings he's given in the midst of chaos. It's really hard to really want sin in the midst of remembering God calling you. So practice telling your story of God calling you to someone else this week. And practice number two is ask someone to tell you their story. And maybe you're still figuring out your story with God. Maybe you're unsure about committing your whole self to Jesus. Or maybe you did that a long time ago, but now you feel like you've kind of strayed from the path and, and you've wanted to quit and you're just questioning it. The second practice this week is to ask someone their story. Because we both need to tell our stories and hear theirs. 
when we hear their story, it helps us remember what God's done for us previously. It reinforces that I can keep going. But if, we're, if we haven't kind of decided to follow Jesus yet, if we haven't committed our lives to him, and we, then ask someone their story, and it might help you kind of see clarity in what God's calling you to in your present moment. Ask others their stories. We need to give and receive storytelling because it'll help us both. And in telling our stories and hearing the stories of others, I pray that we can let go of shame and remember our calling. I want to close with these verses from Isaiah 43. Isaiah reads, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Live your calling despite your circumstances. And reading this today, we might ask, well, who was that person that God gave in exchange for our lives? Who is the one who God really gave as a ransom to win us back from the power of shame and death? Who was Egypt? Who was Sheba? It was Jesus. The very one who calls you has given himself for you. That is a God who I can follow And that is God who you can follow. One who loves us so deeply. Holds us so close like no other. So let us remember, you are not defined by your relationship status, your ethnic background, your gender-based status, or what people say about you. You are not defined by your occupation or your socioeconomic status. You are defined by the one who calls you. Thus, may we live our calling despite our circumstances, knowing that Though we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. Amen. Thank you, guys.